If you are a people pleaser and you can't stop caring about what others think, then you'll want to pay attention to this episode. So from my experience as a therapist, I'm going to show you exactly how the people-pleasing brain literally affects the way you do everything and not just social things. Plus, I'm going to share with you how to start changing this pattern inside you without shaming and blaming yourself for it. Hi, I'm Gloria Zhang, and after 10 years of struggling in toxic relationships, I attracted the love of my life by healing my inner child. This podcast is your weekly dose of my expertise as a therapist and dating relationship coach for high achievers. Learn tips to overcome low self-worth, emotional baggage, and childhood trauma so that you too can step into your power and attract the love you desire. Welcome to the Inner Child Podcast. Welcome to episode four. Today is, if not my most favorite topic, because it's become the most popular topic that I get asked to talk about. Welcome to the Inner Child Podcast. My name is Gloria Zhang. I am a psychotherapist, and I am here to help you overcome people-pleasing, low self-worth, and heal from childhood trauma for good with a sprinkle and a dash of fun. People-pleasing. So let's put this into context. About 40% of my client referrals mention people-pleasing as something that they struggle with. So that's almost half. And this is for my therapy clients and also for my one-on-one inner child coaching clients. And so there's a misconception about what people-pleasing really is. Some people think it's just a personality trait. You know, I just am this way. I care too much about people. I'm an empath. I'm just here to make people happy. But I want to offer a different perspective for you to to consider. And it's that people-pleasing is a survival strategy that you picked up somewhere along the way growing up. And that people-pleasing is actually when your entire brain is wired to act based on what you think other people want. Your brain has been wired to put the perspective from other people's shoes instead of your own. And people-pleasing is so pervasive, it will influence the way you act even when nobody's around. Okay, and I really want you to think about this for a second. Think about what you wear at home. Okay, <laughs> think about your grooming habits or your cleaning habits when you're by yourself versus when other people are around. Think about the way that you feel or don't feel motivation when the outcome is all about how someone else sees your performance or not. So of course, social validation is important. We are social creatures and we need it. But it comes to a point where we don't really have boundaries anymore between balancing internal validation and social validation. And so if you have a people-pleasing brain, it's so quick and easy to lose motivation, even with things that you actually like, if there is no perceived social validation. And it's probably better to explain this through example, because once I start naming these things, you might start to see yourself in these examples, and that's perfectly okay. So there's going to be a lot of takeaways in this episode. I invite you to take a screenshot of the podcast, tag me on Instagram, and just let me know what your biggest takeaways were. 
In the call to action at the end of today's episode, I will again share some practical tips on how to start nipping this in the bud so that you don't have to continue living out your entire life with the people-pleasing brain from the people-pleasing perspective. Okay, I have a confession to make. Before I started my healing journey, I honestly felt like I was a human chameleon. I felt like a shapeshifter. Like when I was at school, I was sort of changing my personality to be a certain way. When I was with my parents, I felt like I had to be a different kind of person, depending on what kind of friends I had. You know, I tried to be more funny with this other group of friends. I would bite my tongue and try to not rock the boat too much. I was always shape-shifting and trying to bend and please and fit other people's agendas. And I didn't really know who I was. I felt like I had a personality disorder. I felt like I didn't even have a personality. So when I first started therapy, and I've been in therapy for years, I strongly advocate to see a therapist who also goes to therapy. But in the beginning, and this is quite normal, by the way, this happens to a lot of my clients. I would have an identity crisis like every three months, like seriously, every three months would roll along. I'd have these big breakthroughs in therapy. Currently, I have an amazing psychoanalyst, like old school psychoanalyst that I work with right now. And so every three months, I'd have this big breakthrough where I suddenly question everything in my life in a good way, of course, because that's what I wanted, right? And I would think, oh my God, like, why did I do that? Why am I still doing this at work? Why am I still choosing to be in this job at work? Why did I make that decision two months ago? Why did I say that to my parents? And then it's like peeling away the layers of an onion. But I had a super people pleaser mind from my childhood. And I was realizing that every single thing, every decision I made in life was coming from a place of people pleasing, even if that decision had nothing to do with other people. I didn't know how to think for myself. I only knew how to think for other people. And I'll just give you one example here. I've been in music all my life, but I wasn't always playing in bands. And when I first started playing in bands, I thought I was doing it for myself. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to challenge myself and join this band. But that's not the truth. After doing a lot of inner work, I realized the reason I started playing in my first band was because at that time, I had a boyfriend who I had major insecurities with, and I learned that his ex-girlfriend was the lead singer in a band. And, you know, like, I don't even know why I'm laughing about it now. At that time, I was like, oh my god, I'm not good enough, I'm not as good as her, and Honestly, I think the reason I joined that band was I wanted to prove to myself that I was as good as his ex-girlfriend. That was seriously my initial motivation. And then, you know, we actually broke up shortly after I joined that band. And so later on, it became more about me. But I mean, that's just one example of how pervasive this was in my life. Fashion. Fashion was another thing. So I've been through like a million fashion trends all through my life. My hair has been every color of the rainbow. Like you have a blue, pink, like blonde hair. I had this emo kid face, like the scene kid face where I was wearing chains and like checkers. And then I would switch and then I was going through a conservative dressing phase. And it just always felt like I was trying on different people's skin, trying to find my own identity in all of these external things. And 
nothing ever really lasted more than a few months, I noticed. You know, and this is the tricky part where if you have a strong sense of self, then fashion, yes, it really is a form of expression. You know, so is makeup and all those things. But if you don't have a strong sense of self, then sometimes, and I'm going to say sometimes, sometimes fashion and makeup and accessories and external things are just a cover-up for the lack of true identity that you really have. I'm putting a disclaimer. I'm saying sometimes because I don't want to generalize because I know that everybody is different. But I know that for a lot of people pleasers, that this really is the case. And it was the case for me. Okay, so, you know, why am I sharing this with you? I'm sharing this because I want to shine a light on things that you're doing just because you're used to doing, but you haven't really thought of why you're doing those things. So I gave you the example of why I joined the band, the clothes I wore, but honestly, like also career choice to a degree. So before I became a therapist, oh my gosh, like for two or three years, I was trying very hard to become a pharmacist because that's what my parents wanted. They never said they wanted me to become a therapist, but I wanted to be a daughter that they were proud of. And so in my own thinking and in my own research, I decided that the way that I was going to win over my parents was to become a pharmacist. Even though I didn't understand chemistry, I was failing in it. My first chemistry test in university, I got like a 55. I was like just barely holding on. And it was totally not what I wanted to do, totally not what I was good at. But I thought I convinced myself that that's what I wanted. Why? Because I had a people-pleasing brain. And I didn't actually know what it felt like to think for myself. So, you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? And so I just thought, okay, I guess this is what I want. And, you know, I lived that way for most of my life until like my 20s, really. Can you relate to any of these experiences? Let me know because I'm curious to hear. Now, I also want to tell you about a former client I had, which I'm going to describe very anonymously. And I think it's a good example just because of how pervasive this people-pleasing brain really is. And so this client of mine, he would just find himself over and over again in these people-pleasing relationships where no matter who his partner was, he always felt like he just wasn't good enough for them. And he would talk about his girlfriends in a way of, she was always on a pedestal. Oh, she's too good for me, like these types of words. And it just felt like he was below her and his duty was to serve her, basically. So they weren't living together at this point, but I think they were spending a lot of time together. But when she wasn't around, he would completely lose motivation to keep up with his own self-care. He would stop showering. He wouldn't even cook, right? And this boiled down to cooking because he was skipping meals. And when he really thought about it, my client realized that he only felt motivated to cook if the cooking was to impress somebody else or to serve someone else like his girlfriend. And before his girlfriend, it was his parents. So we have a quote in therapy that people pleasers start off as parent pleasers. And this goes back to when he was little. He had a mother who was not very nurturing. You know, she would kind of not make eye contact, avoid him. 
and he would feel like he needed to please her all the time just to try to get her attention. He would try to overperform and try to go above and beyond just to get her attention. And this translated into his romantic relationships. Now, <laughs> I mean, you're probably thinking, like, what was this guy eating? He would eat cereal and things like that, like granola bars, just lose motivation to cook, even though he really did love cooking. Or so he thought. <laughs> so, you know, I love to throw in creativity into my sessions when I work with client. And one of our therapy assignments was actually for him to cook his favorite dish, which was chicken panini. <laughs> I love chicken panini too. He was to cook his favorite dish, chicken panini, as nicely and as fancifully as possible. But the trick was he was cooking this only for himself, right? And not even for me. So no pictures. So he couldn't take a picture and get validation from posting a photo on Facebook and getting Facebook likes for it. That this was only for himself. He was going to pour all his creativity and fun into this experiment. And also to give himself permission to enjoy his own creation if it was just for himself. Simple enough, right? <laughs> but, you know, it was hard for him and I can understand why. Because if we're not used to doing things for ourselves, it really does feel like there's no point, right? It feels like, you know, we can always skip out on ourselves and that we can hold on, we, we can get by on bare minimum. But then when you think about that approach, like that mentality, and you start to realize the ripple effect that that has across your entire life, where else are you giving yourself bare minimum? Dress is one thing, right? Where you save all your nice clothes only in situations where you have to impress people <laughs> or you don't let yourself have nice things. You don't ask for your needs because you're afraid of inconveniencing someone else. I want you to think about how this mentality has a huge ripple effect across so many, if not all the areas of your life. Okay. So my client did a wonderful job. He gave this a try. It was difficult for him. It felt, you know, awkward and felt uncomfortable. But you know what his biggest realization from this experiment was? He actually didn't really like cooking as much as he thought he did. <laughs> he only liked the validation that came from the cooking, you see? This went back to childhood as well, where Growing up with his mom that I described to you, he would try to be like a little adult to his mom. And I think his mother was depressed. He would try to cook for his mom and serve her in that way to try to help her around the house. But then, you know, when he did this experiment and he really, really thought about it, he did an amazing job getting honest with himself. He realized that it wasn't the cooking that he enjoyed, right? It was that need for validation, that desire to please someone. And that cooking, you know, was just whatever for him. And that it wasn't actually his passion all along. There is something else as well that I'm going to talk about more in a future episode, which is called performative self-care. And that's a huge trait of the people-pleasing mind. And what that is, is when you only do self-care for validation. So some examples of this is you usually don't take a bubble bath for yourself. But you will take a bubble bath if you post it on Instagram, <laughs> like, you know, hashtag self-care. So another one would be, let's say that you have a need to be seen as a good person, right? And so 
you go to yoga every month or every week, but you actually don't really enjoy yoga. And so the whole time you're there thinking like, oh, like I have to be here because I have to be here, but I don't want to be here and I don't like these weird poses and this is uncomfortable. And so you're not actually getting the benefit from it because that's not the activity that you actually enjoy. It's coming from a need to be seen a certain way. Right. It's so the motivation is coming from an external factor. It's not really coming from yourself. And so therefore, is it really self-care? So you might be wondering, OK, I get it. People pleasing. I don't want to be doing that anymore. But why am I doing it? Like if I'm aware that I'm people pleasing, why do I keep doing it? Why do we even people please? It seems so counterintuitive. So I'm going to explain to you why people pleasing is actually a survival method. It's a survival strategy that you had to pick up from childhood, most likely, and that it served a purpose in your life. And we're really going to address this with complete self-compassion, because I don't want anybody walking away from this podcast thinking, oh, you know, stupid me, like I'm doing it again. And, you know, this is wrong. This is bad. I never want anybody to leave feeling that way because that's not the way to go <laughs> in terms of self-love. First, we seek to understand, right? Any strategy that we've picked up that doesn't serve us anymore did at one time serve a purpose. And at one time, we really needed to be that way. So when it comes to people-pleasing, it's all about attachment, right? So attachment styles are the ways that you show up in relationship that helps you meet your needs of being close to somebody else, but also preserving your own self-identity. So I want you to picture yourself as a baby. So you've got your parent there and you've got yourself as a baby. And what we forget sometimes is that babies and children in general are so vulnerable that the only thing a baby can do to survive is to cry the only thing a baby can do is to ask for help, right? That's our default strategy. And so what happens when the parent doesn't respond to the baby? Babies are completely helpless. You know, we just got here. We're tiny. We're vulnerable. We don't know what these emotions are. We don't know anything about the world. So parents, you can think of as home base. So in attachment language, you know, we say the parent is the secure home base. So it's like your mom or dad or a parent is like the headquarters, the one place that you know to be safe and secure. It's the one place that anchors you to safety. And so the idea is that the baby can trust that the parent will always be there as a secure home base, that the baby feels emotionally secure around parent. And having that in mind, the baby can now go out into the world and explore, trusting that if something happens out there, if something scary, something shocking happens out in the world, that the baby can run back to safety. So if you ever just watch kids on the playground, you'll see the child starts off with their parent, they go run off, and then they fall down the slide, right? They fall down the slide, they start crying, like, wah, wah. they skin their knee. They come running back to their parent and the parent goes, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? Can I give you a hug? Right? Comforts the child. And when the child is comforted correctly, they're able to move past whatever just happened. They get right back up. <laughs> Sometimes in a matter of minutes, they run back to the playground as if nothing happened. 
And this is what we're supposed to do <laughs> growing up over and over again, right? You're in a strange, brand new situation. Your parent is there. You run off to the world. You build some trust. You come back if something happens. And when you feel confident, you go back into the world again. And this is how we become adults, really, learning to trust both our home base and the world around us. So what happens if your parent has any of the three A's? Abuse, absence, addictions. I talked about this in episode two in the Daddy Issues episode. When our parents aren't able to be safe for us, I do mean like physical safety as well, but this also includes emotional safety. If you're a kid and you're crying because crying is the only thing you know how to do, you know, you need support, you need comfort, and your parent ignores you, or they invalidate you, or they just say, oh, stop, or they say, ah, oh, that's not so bad, or they say, oh, you're being too much right now, or they pretend not to hear you, or they yell at you, they get angry at you for being upset. What do you think that does to the child? You see, another reason we are so vulnerable as kids is we are completely dependent on our caregivers to keep us alive. Your parents or your caregivers are the only source of food, the only source of shelter that you know. You need them right? And so now there's an internal conflict that now the person I depend on the most, the person that's supposed to comfort me is also the person that is causing me the pain that needs to be comforted. Do you see what's going on here? This is the start of an attachment wound. And this is why I have a job. <laughs> In all honesty, you know, I love talking about this stuff because I started having attachment wounds since I was like six months old. <laughs> so I'll talk about my story another time. But that's why I'm so obsessed with this topic. So what happens is the child learns to people please. The child learns that the only way to get their parents' attention, because we need attention, because we need to survive, the only way to do that is to do what the parent wants you to do. It's the only way. Otherwise, what else are you going to do? How are you going to get your needs met? Some children run away from home. Most children do not. So this is a coping survival mechanism that we've learned to do. Now, another thing is if you have a safe and secure base that you grow up as a healthy functioning child and you can just be in the moment, you can enjoy just playing with toys and not having to worry about mom and dad back home. But if mom and dad are not safe, not safe around you. Maybe there's a lot of chaos and conflict at home. How are you supposed to concentrate on coloring or playing with Lego, right? You can't. This is where the people-pleasing brain starts to get wired. It becomes an advantage for you to think of things in your mom and dad's perspective rather than from your own. And so what happens is the child is always sort of watching their surroundings, is watching and very hypervigilant of their parents. These kids can become empaths growing up where they're so attuned to facial expressions and they can tell just by like the way that their parents breathe what they're feeling because that's what matters at that point. That's survival. If dad's in a bad mood, it's going to be a bad day for me, right? Maybe when mom is in a sad mood, it means that there's no food in the house. Maybe it means that she's not going to cook. So we attune to survival and just coming full circle to what I said before, 
This is why I just really want you to be kind to yourself about this. That if you are still people pleasing as an adult, it's not because you're weak or you don't have self control. It's because you have learned how to have this survival strategy for so long that you had to, you had no choice. It's not serving you anymore. And we can work on that, of course. But it starts with being compassionate with yourself. If you're just hard on yourself all the time, it's just going to perpetuate that cycle of shame. And, you know, I don't want that for you. I want you to come from a place of self compassion and self understanding and really deeply, truly understanding that it was not your fault that you became a people pleaser. In fact, I don't even want to say the word people pleaser because it's kind of like an identity word and this is not your identity. Right? It's just a strategy that you picked up. And you're more than this. So let's start with the compassion piece first. When you catch yourself people pleasing, Notice when you start to criticize yourself and then interrupt that pattern and say, nope, it's not my fault. I'm not a bad person. I'm just repeating a pattern from the past. I had to people please in order to survive. And I'm noticing that now. And so this blends seamlessly into our call to action for today. If you really relate to this episode and you want to work on your people pleasing, here are three things to start thinking about and practicing to start changing that right now. And I'm just going to put in a quick plug, but I also do one-to-one inner child coaching and people pleasing is a huge topic that comes up. And at the moment, I do have a couple of spots opening up for April and May and June too as well. I haven't booked that far ahead. So please check out my socials or my website if you're interested. And of course, I provide virtual psychotherapy to people who live in Ontario or British Columbia in Canada. So hit me up for that as well. So call to action. Three things to put into practice to start to heal that people-pleasing. Number one, people-pleasing is all about focus on the outcome. You're too focused on the outcome of what you're doing. And the outcome is around how other people are going to think of you. So I want you to start noticing how you're focused on that social outcome and it's actually taking you out of the moment of doing or enjoying that thing. So this is actually a mindfulness practice. But every time you start a new activity or you make a decision, I just want you to pay attention to where your mind is focusing on. Are you focusing on the other person, what they're thinking? And if so, practice taking your attention and bringing it back to the experience of whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's cooking, finishing up a work project, making something for someone. Bring your attention back and continuously over and over, over time, keep bringing your attention back to the here and now. Number two is when you're making a decision, people-pleasing starts when you start to feel that urgent feeling, like that weird urgency or like that heavy obligation feeling that you get. You might know what I'm talking about. It's kind of hard for me to describe, but you know, someone asks you a question or they start talking about something and then you start getting this weird urge to overperform or overcompensate or do that thing for that person. Just catch yourself feeling that urgency. Notice where it is in your body and question the motivation behind that decision. Why did I say yes to that thing? Why did I say no to that thing? And switch the fuel for which you are 
driving your behavior from and switch it from the energy of wanting to please and switching that to the energy of doing something for yourself or doing something just for the sake of doing that thing. So switching the energy. Number three is making a shift to our identity. So I might expand on identity in a much longer additional episode because that's a whole other can of worms. But my guess is a lot of your personal identity is probably wrapped up around, oh, I'm just a good person, right? I just like to help people. That itself is a wonderful thing. We do need more caring people in the world. (laughs) But if you're thinking from a people-pleasing brain, then that identity becomes a catch-all. It just becomes an excuse to set aside your own needs. So we're going to have to revise this identity. Now, the opposite of people-pleasing is not (laughs) people-hating. And I see this happening sometimes when people are trying to figure out how to stop people-pleasing. And it's not to stop people-pleasing. It's hard to stop doing something that's been a pattern for so long. But instead, it's just to add yourself to the equation. If your personal identity and your personal values are to be a kind and caring person, that's wonderful. Keep that. Now just add yourself to that equation. By being a kind and caring person, that includes you. You also have to be kind and caring to yourself. And if your identity is around being a giving person, you know, I love to give, add yourself to the equation. If you're giving to other people, that's wonderful. We need more love in the world. But that includes you. You got to give to yourself as well. And I mean, logically, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? And so in order to give to others, you'd have to give to yourself. Otherwise, you're going to deplete yourself and the giving that you give to others is not going to be at its potential. You know, a concern I hear quite often from a lot of my clients, at least in the initial sessions, is that they worry that if they stop people-pleasing, that they're not going to be a good person anymore, or they worry that they're going to swing the pendulum all the way to the other side and become an asshole. And, you know, in my experience, it's very unlikely for that to happen. Putting yourself first doesn't mean that you're putting others last. It just means you're creating the right amount of distance so that you can love yourself and love others simultaneously. It's all about balance. It's all about equilibrium. And it's all about harmony in the end. So, yeah, that's another perspective to take it. That if life is all about balance, Mother Earth and nature is all about balance, then it's the same thing with our needs. So that's it for today's episode, everybody. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was relevant and I hope you found the takeaways helpful. So I'm going to keep this podcast up. My first goal is to hit the 10 episodes mark and then we'll go from there. So thank you so much for your support. Your five-star reviews really, really help me with the Apple ratings and it helps this podcast reach more people. So you're doing me a huge favor by leaving those. And I will I'll catch you in the next episode. Mwah. If you love this episode, please hit subscribe and give us a five-star review. It really helps me a lot. So thank you. To join the community and get your daily dose of inner child tips, follow me on Instagram and social media at ByGloriaZang or visit ByGloriaZang.com. 
If you're a high achiever or entrepreneur who wants to work with me, message me the words high achiever and I'll get in touch. Thanks, bestie. See you in the next one.